Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Space Jams podcast. I'm your host, Jim Murphy, and today we have a very special guest, Sarah Blunt, a grad student at Caltech studying exoplanets, who is also an amateur cellist. Fantastic to have you here today, Sarah. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me, Jim. (laughs) Well, I gave you a little introduction. Would you like to share anything else about yourself with our wonderful viewers? I think you covered the important things. I'm, I'm in my second year of a PhD program at Caltech, and I'm interested in exoplanets, which are planets outside our solar system. So I'm interested in finding new planets that we haven't found before and also learning as much as we can about the planets we know about. Mm, fantastic. Now for me, uh, exoplanets, I'm not a big, well, I'm not an expert on any of these things, uh, that's, but I don't know a lot about exoplanets. So it's super exciting to talk to someone who that's like their main focus. I think one of the things I do know, and tell me if I'm wrong, but we know of about like 4,000 exoplanets. Is that correct? Yeah. Yep. I think that's right. The number grows every day, but around 4,000 is right. Yes. So, and you said a little bit, you said exoplanets are planets outside of our solar system. Yep, exactly. There are any planets that are orbiting stars that are in our sun. Wonderful. Now, earlier this week, I had a conversation with one of my friends, and they said, you know what, I just figured out that our solar system, our sun is not the center of a galaxy. And I said, oh, oh, no. (laughs) And so this brings us, yes, there are many solar systems in our galaxy and within those galaxies there are planets and that is exactly what we're talking about today now a big question after we have our definition is why are they of interest i think there uh there are a lot of answers to that question so i'll give one of my favorite answers which is that i think for the past few thousand years people have been making uh discoveries that teach us more and more about our place in the universe. And every one of these big discoveries has sort of uh, emphasized what you just said, which is that we're not the center of anything. We're not the center of the universe. Uh, We discovered a while ago that the sun is not, that the earth is not the center of our solar system. And that was a huge revolution. Um, And we have now discovered that we're actually not at the center of the galaxy. We're on Uh, we're sort of uh, on the outskirts of the galaxy. And I think discovering new exoplanets and learning more about them just sort of enforces this idea that our solar system uh, is not really, it doesn't appear to be special in any way. There's lots of other uh, solar systems out there that are, that have similar aspects. Um, And this is sort of a continuation of this original uh, revolution that, that we're not the center of anything. We're not special. <laughs> wonderful. A wonderful, a wonderful sentiment to everyone. Remember, you are not special. <laughs> That's what you're getting from this. Our solar system and you in particular, listener, are not special. <laughs> no, but that's awesome. And it's every, just like everything else when talking about space, it puts you in an awe-inspiring perspective where everything is grander than oneself. And it's it's just awesome to me it, and the word awesome gets thrown a lot thrown around like 
a lot these days, but the word awesome really has to do with like enormous grand things. And this is definitely one of them. Like the universe, the solar system, the galaxy. These are the types of things that we like talking about. Awesome stuff. Well, those are fantastic. So how did you get interested in exoplanets yourself? Take us through that little journey there. Sure. Uh, so I took physics class my senior year of high school, and I really loved it. Uh, I'd always really liked math, but I hadn't really known that math was like a career you could have. Um, and taking physics, I realized that math was math could be used to understand the world around you through physics. Um, and I really loved that idea and uh, applying math in that way. Uh, so I decided I wanted to try and be a physicist. Um, and I actually took a year off before college and uh, worked at a museum. And at the end of that year, uh, I got my first research internship um, and it happened to be in uh, an astronomy lab and sort of the rest is history. I thought astronomy was the coolest thing. If physics was an a cool application of math, I thought astronomy was a cool application of physics. Um, and from there, I bounced around a couple of different astronomy internships in college. Uh, and my sort of last big undergrad internship was in, uh, was studying exoplanets. And uh, I just sort of, it just sort of stuck. I, I really liked exoplanets. Um, and I really enjoyed getting to know all lots of different aspects of the field as I progressed through grad school. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. Uh, and I think uh, here at Space Jams, like we try to reach out to young listeners, um, like, you know, 18 to like 30. And anyone who is, you know, young at heart, of course. <laughs> uh, but, and it's all about like, you know, wondering, looking up at the stars and things. Um, but it's really inspiring to see that, you know, you took it from a love for math um, to then actually like getting involved in the field in ways that you could and taking it all the way to finding a love of astronomy. Like, that's really awesome. Uh, I have a, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit behind you in like the, uh, <laughs> the, the professional department, but the same thing, you know, kind of working your way through what you want to do is something that uh, everybody can uh, relate to. So that, that's, that's really awesome. Definitely. I'm still figuring it out too. <laughs> oh yeah. Aren't we all now? You say, well, you're talking about, I'm talking about everybody can uh, relate to it. Um, and one of my questions I love asking is why should the public or everyone else, uh, to, be, to be frank, why should they care about exoplanets? How does it necessarily, why should they, why does it matter to them? Yeah, so I think... Uh... Again, there are lots of answers to this question, and I'll give one of my favorites, uh, which is that I think any sort of physics discipline is not something that is a short-term investment. Like, you don't invest in fundamental physics research and expect technologies that benefit humans to come around, like, within 10 years. Um, but by studying things because we're interested in them and not necessarily because they're going to achieve a, a specific technological goal, we... Uh, learn more and uh, have more like technology and knowledge at our disposal than we would have otherwise. And an example of this that gets thrown around a lot is uh, GPS. So um, when Einstein discovered the um, 
general theory of relativity, he wasn't doing it because he wanted GPS to be more accurate. Um, but in fact, GPS wouldn't exist nowadays without that, uh, without a general relativistic correction. So these are the sort of things that you don't go into thinking about, but actually do have real world consequences. So I think the same thing is true for fundamental science research. Um, exoplanets specifically, I think people should be interested in because it's just cool. Like, <laughs> I, I can't imagine a world where we now know that there are other planets out there, other worlds, and we wouldn't want to learn more about them. Like, I think, I think it's the coolest thing ever. And I, I think a lot of people are very excited about them. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I know for myself, personally, I, and this isn't necessarily an exoplanet, but I, some nights I'm just laying, I'm laying around and I'm, I just start thinking about what, what is under the ice of Europa. I'm like, what, yeah. what is under there? I'm like, how, what is going on in there? And then you think, you know, take it, you know, way, way farther away. And there's exoplanets now. And what is on these exoplanets? Like people are getting excited about phosphine on Venus and stuff, but what, what, yeah. what don't we know about these distant worlds and everything? It's very exciting. It's the, it's the escape to, you know, literally a different world it's it's like escaping like people i can get lost in it it's fun to like contemplate these types of things but it's real life it's like we're living in a science fiction movie or something you know or science fiction world and it's fun yeah definitely yeah i have this memory oh sorry no go for it uh i have a memory of uh when i was little like looking at the moon and having this realization that the moon was a place it wasn't just a thing I could see it was a place that people had gone and I think that's a sort of similar thing that excites me about exoplanets is that I'm not just studying like some amorphous thing in space I'm studying places which we may not ever go to but they do exist they are physical places oh yeah and I there's um I, I feel the same way when Mars has been like super visible for the past couple of weeks and it's it's been kind of big because mm -hmm. it's so close to the earth but and then you look up at mars and from where i am saturn and jupiter are also visible and you're like those are planets and if you <laughs> if you get like a small telescope we were using a spotter scope but you can see them and you can see the rings of saturn and it's like these are real like mm -hmm. people talk about saturn and they might think of the car but you know the planet is real it's up there and it's it's fantastic and seeing the craters and everything on the moon and the like the three dimensions like the real to really get the impact of that also it's just it's just inspiring it's it's so much fun yeah totally it's dreamers it makes dreamers <laughs> makes dreamers all right so at space champs we love we love to educate not as much as we love to have fun but we love to educate and inform but you yourself uh, are somewhat of a educator, a teacher in a way. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. You want to tell us a little bit about that? Sure. Uh, so I've had lots of different sort of teaching experiences uh, over the past 10 years or so. Uh, my first ever teaching experience was uh, I worked for Kaplan Test Prep for a very long time. So teaching people to take the SAT and the GRE uh, which was fun, not necessarily like the most fun thing to teach people about, uh, but uh, taught me a lot of valuable skills. And uh, I've also worked as a tutor and uh, I've taught um, all through college. I worked um, 
as uh, I worked with a, an organization that writes and teaches original science lessons to uh, high school students, which was super fun because I got to write my own lessons about anything I wanted and then teach them to students. Uh, so yeah, so I've done more teaching stuff as well, but sort of this mishmash of opportunities to teach. So I have a great question for, well, I think it's great. You guys tell me or not, but <laughs> I have a great question that I came up with that I think is so my, one of the big things we focus here is how do we get people excited about it? How do we get young people excited about space? And you say you were like making new lesson plans for high school students. Like what, what, what did you get? Was their sense of value for what you were doing or what were you bringing? Like, did they enjoy it or was it like, Oh, we have to do this or. <laughs> Uh, no, totally. I, people love space. People love learning about space and talking about space. And I don't think, I think it's, I don't think it's that hard to get people excited about space if you yourself are excited. So the way that, the way that I would, you know, encourage people to get students interested in space is to learn about space yourself. There's so many great resources out there for, there's, there's great like science uh, articles that are written communicating recent research results like those sorts of things are really great to read and get excited yourself and then you can I think it's impossible not to translate that enthusiasm to other people once you have it yeah I mean I I think so I mean I can't stop telling <laughs> people about space and people get irritated at this point like I told you I can see Mars and Jupiter and Saturn up in the sky and I, I tell people when I'm outside I'm like hey guys what are those? And they're like, Jim, can you just please stop? Yeah, we get it. It's Mars, it's Saturn, it's Jupiter. All right, can you please? I'm like, all right, my job is done. Okay. I've, I've, I've passed on this knowledge. And so, yeah, I think it is infectious. You just have to be um, exuberant. That's the yeah, key totally. for sure. Yeah. So lots of stuff going on today with um, like different kinds of space exploration, like SpaceX, Blue Origin, everything and all this stuff. Um, and a big thing in general, I suppose, is do you believe, this is kind of an obvious question, but we always love to ask it, do you believe space exploration is important? Definitely. Uh, I think uh, in order to get a full picture of, of anything, we have to look at it from multiple perspectives. And I think that space origin, space, sorry, so space exploration is a critical perspective of uh, learning about planets. So uh, we can't just learn about uh, the planets in our galaxy, for example, just by looking at the planets in our solar system, we need to look at other exoplanets as well. Uh, but we also can't learn everything about exoplanets without learning about the planets in our solar system. Obviously the planets in our solar system are like close, they're, they're reachable laboratories in a way that uh, exoplanets aren't. So we probably will never go to most of the, we'll definitely never go to most of the exoplanets in our galaxy. So we have to use the planets that are closest to us as laboratories for understanding those other worlds that are more distant. And so I think space exploration is critical in achieving that goal. Yeah, awesome. And then a while, in the beginning, you talked about how the exoplanets that you and others have been you know, looking at have, they're similar to planets in our solar system and do you mean they're similar in the way that we believe they're created or they're similar in like a topography type of way or their composition? Like, how are they similar? Yeah, it's a really good question. Um, and the short answer is probably a little bit of everything you just said. 
Um, we think that there are probably similarities in the way that uh, solar systems form. Uh, but planet formation is still a big unsolved problem. Uh, we thought we knew how planets form before we had discovered any exoplanets because we'd only ever seen our solar system. Um, and we you know, thought that there were general rules for how planets came to be. Like we thought that you know, gas giants are in the outer part of the solar system, rocky planets are on the inner part of the solar system. Uh, but one of the first, the, the, actually the first exoplanet that was discovered was a giant planet, so bigger than Jupiter, that was within the orbit of Mercury. So it's super close to its host star and really big. Um, so that completely threw a wrench in all the existing theories of planet formation. Um, and it's been an ongoing puzzle to try and figure out how planets form. So that was a long answer to the first part of your question, which was uh, that we think there are probably similarities in how planets form, but we don't really know. Um, and then in terms of composition, yeah, we also have seen planets that are likely rocky, uh, similar to Earth, Venus, Mars. And we've also seen planets that are likely gaseous, like uh, Jupiter and Saturn. Uh, we've also seen planets that are like neither of those two categories. Uh, there are two whole new categories of planets uh, called super-Earths and sub-Neptunes that we don't have any examples of in our own solar system. Uh, we think that super-Earths are rocky like Earth, uh, but they're much bigger. They can be up to like five times as big as Earth. Uh, sorry, five times as massive as Earth. And then uh, sub-Neptunes are likely have small gaseous envelopes, uh, but rocky cores. And that's also completely unlike anything we see in our solar system. We see, we don't see any uh, rocky cores with gassy envelopes. So some, so yeah, the second part of your question, there are likely planets with similar compositions they're also likely planets with different compositions. Wow. Yeah. So the, these are the things like I have no, I have no, you know, I, I don't have a lot of knowledge of exoplanets. My, a lot of my interest is around like the moons of our solar system and things like that and their composition and everything. And with the moons comes the planets. Mm -hmm. um, and so do, do you do any work with our moons or our planets at all? You must, because you're talking about how you can't look at one without the other necessarily, or you can't understand one without understanding the others. Yeah, definitely. So I don't work on the moons of our solar system directly, but I do read a lot of literature about them. And um, so there's this is a lot and growing collaboration between solar system scientists and exoplanet scientists. And we're slowly uh, piecing together the puzzle using both of these uh, both of these pieces of data from solar system scientists and from exoplanet scientists. That's very cool. Yeah. So, and we always talk about on Space Jam, everyone who comes on, we always talk about how space is a collaboration. It's like a, mm -hmm. it's, I call it the great uniter because <laughs> it doesn't matter what's going on. You can't do it alone. Uh, you always need, you know, groups of people working together, whether you're sending a rocket up or you're looking at something, it takes a lot of people. It takes a lot of brains. It takes a lot of, a lot of uh, a lot of enthusiasm to get it going so that's awesome yeah. all right now we move into the tough questions <laughs> but not really but so one of the things that's going on today of course and it happens uh, it's within our solar system is the colonization of the moon and mars and so we kind of wanted to get a feel like are you excited about the colonization of moon and mars do you think it'll lead to you know, maybe go into exoplanets later on or moons or something? Like, how do you feel about that? 
Yeah, so uh, I don't think Colin, I, I wouldn't say I'm excited about colonization, uh, just because historically colonization has had a very negative connotation and it's been associated with domination in particular. Uh, so like when you think of the colonization of the Americas, it was white Europeans coming and exterminating uh, Native, not exterminating, but uh, committing genocide essentially. Um, and so I don't think that we should use the word colonization when we're talking about exploring moons and planets. Um, I think that respectful exploration is maybe a better uh, way of saying it. So we wouldn't want to I don't think that the goal is to, you know, just blindly extract resources from moons and planets to serve our own needs. I think we should, you know, be respectful of the environments there and uh, learn about those places without necessarily like only using it to uh, only only using the environments to to suit our own needs, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a very it's very. It sounds very Star Trekky, actually. It sounds yeah. like to, to go forth with like good intentions, which is exactly a, is a great thing. Yeah. And yeah, so that's that's like very interesting. And this in the day and age where we are in the commercial space world, and where mm -hmm. we're we're looking at asteroid mining and things like that, and we actually have a, I think we're six days away from Osiris Rex actually scooping up a bit of the uh the Bennu or the Bennu asteroid and gonna bring it home um so how do you feel about the commercialization of space and you know resources in space and things like that it seems like you may have a different opinion <laughs> yeah um it's definitely a complicated issue and I would say that I feel conflicted I guess is a good word to describe it um I think that in particularly American society nowadays, it's sort of hard to escape commercialization. Uh, we live in a capitalist economy. And so it seems like on the one hand, you know, in order to get anything done, you have to like, you have to deal with some amount of commercialization. And um, on the other hand, I, you know, I think that there are the same problems with commercialization of space that there are with commercialization of earth. Like, you know, uh, climate change is happening at a horrifying rate. And I think we're running out of natural resources on the earth um, very quickly. And that has to do with sort of unchecked commercialization. And I think there's no reason to expect that uh, commercialization of space would have a, a different uh, outcome. So I think I, I would definitely be worried about, uh, you know, using resources in space. Uh, yeah, for the same reason. Yeah, and I think a big a big thing about like the commercialization of space is like people are like, well, we're we're using up resources we have here, but now we have resources out there. And I think what a lot of people don't understand is the resources that we would have out there would be to continue our exploration out there. So yeah. they they might help us in some way on Earth, but a lot of it would be used to just further the exploration out there. And there's a ton of science fiction that goes into that and how that would play out and how social and cultural and political structures would follow us into space. And it would, mm -hmm. it would be very similar in all those types of things. Yeah, definitely. But yeah, and yeah. A, lot of, a lot of the astronauts and people we talked to, well, the astronaut we've talked to said <laughs> he brings people to the window of the ISS and he shows them and they cry 
and it's because it's so spectacular and you really get a sense of like hope and like a, a feeling of home when you look at earth and that we, you know, it's very important, you know, we got to take care of her. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the kind of the general feel of the space community. Yeah, I, I think so. And yeah. Yeah. Just reiterate what I said before about like, I think just going forth with respect is important. Yes, of course. Yeah. You, you remind me of Captain Picard. <laughs> yeah, that's what you said. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Shouldn't have taken credit. <laughs> no, of course not. But um, yes, fantastic. Well, we mentioned, I mentioned a little bit of science fiction. Mm-hmm. We're going to ask you, uh, one of our favorite questions is, um, do you have a favorite science fiction book? Uh, <laughs> I guess I'd say I have a lot of favorite science fiction books. <laughs> That's even better. That's even better. <laughs> uh, I really like Michael Crichton. Um, I, uh, uh, I've been really, I, I love Jurassic Park. I've read Jurassic Park a bunch of times and uh, Prey, one of his, I don't know if it's a lesser known book. I don't hear people talking about it quite as much um, about nanorobots. I think that one was really cool as well. Uh, and yeah, there are a couple other of his books that I think are just fantastic. Um, I, yeah. Yeah, I guess so. I'd, I'd say he's my favorite author. <laughs> what would you say so you mentioned like Jurassic Park and and those and then you mentioned a, a book that has like nano robots. <laughs> so I think that's a beautiful like <laughs> encapsulation of how large science fiction can be. It can go from you know bringing back dinosaurs to nano robots. You know we we've seen like what robots can do in science fiction. So mm-hmm. what would you say is your favorite thing about science fiction? Mm-hmm. I like that science fiction. So to be, to be uh, completely honest too, I also really like fantasy. So what oh. I'm about to say is sort of <laughs> true to an extent. <laughs> uh, so I really like when, um, when like a situation that arises from a, a situation that you have in a book, like makes sense given current technology. So like Jurassic Park, for example, like it seemed to me, you know, with someone that doesn't have a lot of experience in genetics to be like something that could be totally possible. And so that was really exciting to like, think of this wacky, complicated scenario that could happen, that could happen. (laughs) Um, So I like that about science fiction. Uh, But I also like to think about, you know, things that could, things that are totally crazy and magical as well (laughs) don't necessarily have any basis in reality for me i think when it comes to things that might possibly be true like could happen you know that's the part that scares me yeah (laughs) that's the one where i'm like oh chase like i'm Mm -hmm. I'm thinking that we're gonna find you know we're gonna find uh, like octopus on Europe in Europa's and they're going to come back and they're going to infest like the world and there's going to be a whole situation or something like that we're going to make AI that's going to take over the world and Skynet and everything mm-hmm. or iRobot and things like that those things freak me out but when it comes to fantasy <laughs> which mm-hmm. a personal favorite of mine would be like Lord of the Rings yeah. and that might be weird but a lot the Lord of the Rings made me have a deeper love for space and space mm-hmm. exploration and I don't know if that would make sense to you in a way have yeah you, totally have you I also 
yeah, I have read Lord of the Rings. I'm actually rereading The Hobbit right now. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, I totally see how that could make sense. I mean, it, I don't know, it's sort of, I think reading fantasy makes you uh, sort of going back to what I was talking about before, like recontextualize your place in the universe in a way, like see things as, uh, you know, special because they're not special in a way. Like it, when, you, when you go about your daily life thinking this isn't necessarily the way that it has to be, um, maybe there's lots of other possibilities out there. I could, I could see that uh, increasing your own appreciation for our planet and our way of life. Now, I'll be honest. Are we, are we getting off track? Yes. And I love it because <laughs> I, what you just said, thinking that things that aren't necessarily special are special sounds like Gandalf talking about the hobbits. <laughs> sounds like he's talking about the hobbits and I love totally. it. <laughs> Fantastic. Because I think you're right. I think, and I think the beautiful thing about that is, is that in the beginning of this episode, which remember, this is the definition. You're not special except you are kind of special because <laughs> you happen to live in a time where we are getting ready to go into space. We're constantly in space as a species and things like that. And then you got to believe that you're a part of it. Like mm -hmm. you, no matter what you're doing, like you can be a part of space. And that's kind of like the beauty of it at this point in our, we're getting to that point, you know, eventually there could be hotels in space. There could be things like, like I'll be a janitor at the I'll be a janitor at the 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 SpaceX hotel. I mean, sign me up, sign me up. But that that's my favorite part about like the the journey um, mm -hmm. and about science fiction, and and that definitely is seen to me in Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit and stuff like that. Mm -hmm, for sure. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. That was a great answer, and we got to talk about Lord of the Rings. So that's <laughs> off the bucket list. Good day in my book. Yep. Now. Do you think that science, we talk a lot about science fiction and, uh, you know, about how, what it means to us. Now, do you think science fiction has real impact on space exploration or has it, in your opinion, of course? Yeah, I, I think it has. Um, I think, uh, like everything else, science is limited by our imaginations. And people don't necessarily think of science as a creative field, but I think it's hugely creative and in order to explain data you have to think of an explanation <laughs> um, and if you're if you're limited and in, in the way that you, in the possibilities that you can think of for explanation explanations you're not necessarily going to find you know something that makes sense or something that explains your data um, and so I think uh, science fiction has definitely like expanded scientists horizons and you know made us think about what's possible and as a sort of like mini example, so there are real examples of this too, where like actual scientists have been inspired by, uh, by science fiction novels to like write papers or interpret discoveries. But my own sort of favorite mini example of this is that, uh, so I actually run a meme page for uh, exoplanet astronomers. And uh, I, one day I was thinking about uh, the Game of Thrones world. <laughs> how uh, Game of Thrones has seasons that vary wildly in the length of the year. So I was thinking about how that could be possible. And I made this post about 
what if the Game of Thrones world is on a chaotic orbit in a solar system and it's actually going to, the series is going to end with the planet getting ejected from the solar system and then it will be winter forever. And I thought that was a funny joke and, you know, a bunch of people got, liked it or had a good time. And a few months later, uh, one of the people who was a fan of my meme page wrote a paper. It was, it was a joke paper, but a real like paper nonetheless about how this was possible and how you could have actually a planet on a chaotic orbit <laughs> um, and how that would reproduce the lengths of the seasons in the Game of Thrones world. So yeah, I think <laughs> um, there's all this sort of feedback and a lot of it starts off as a joke and maybe continues to be a joke, but it's it's fun and you know anything that we can do to expand our the way that we're thinking about things is totally worth it what's that meme page called <laughs> it's called exoplanet memes for habitable teens feel free to to like it <laughs> we're on twitter and facebook feel feel free to like it everybody and um also <laughs> sarah that is by far uh one of the greatest examples of why um you're with us on this podcast today because that was one of the um most hilarious things i've heard i think that's awesome <laughs> that you do that that's <laughs> so much fun but that's exactly it i think where you're making it you inspired somebody else to put some real thought into a a science fiction scenario brought into the real world kind of like a real life or you know real life makes it sound like you're going to the grocery store but like a you know a a astrophysical situation so that's yeah. awesome and i think that's what science that's why i believe science fiction is important because i think that you know a lot of great they they make us think like isaac asimov and his um his stories have like you know they, they might not be completely right but they made us think about artificial intelligence in a way that was, you know, we were cautious and, uh, you know, they made it think about it in a certain way. And now it's like, it, it could be possible one day that we, you know, we have extremely intelligent artificial intelligence and we kind of have, you know, we've had this thought process for a while. And so those things are super important. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that's great. Exoplanet, exoplanet memes for habitable teens. Yeah, that's fun. <laughs> that's amazing. That is amazing. Oh, gosh. All right, Sarah, big questions. Big mm -hmm. questions. It's all on you. All right. The millions of millions of listeners will hear this. <laughs> Where do you see human beings in 100 years? And there's a lot of ways to answer this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I think there's an optimistic and a pessimistic answer to this. <laughs> Wait, can, um, I, can I ask for something? Sure. Can I get both from you? Yeah, sure. Um, so <laughs> the pessimistic answer is easy because I think the pessimistic answer is that we're not here anymore, <laughs> um, which I think is is possible. Um, I, I I'd say I'm an optimist, so I don't I don't think that's going to happen. I, I hope yeah. it doesn't. <laughs> nice. Um, but yeah, there are real problems facing humanity nowadays, and I think we're going to really need to learn to work together and get past things like bureaucracy um, in order to, you know, survive another hundred years. Um, but I think we can do it. And I think people care about each other. And uh, when push comes to shove, I think we can all, you know, 
be empathetic and work together to to make it through. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So the the optimistic answer is that I I think the next hundred years is going to be difficult for humanity, regardless, and I think it's going to be a, a test. Um, but I think if we can overcome it, I think humans a hundred years from now will have learned a lot of valuable lessons. So I think for one, we need to, we're going to need to overcome real big problems of our time, like, like, uh, uh, like racism and classism. I think we need to learn to live together and see difference, um, between humans, uh, and not, uh, see people as inferior because of that. And then I also think we need to figure out a solution to climate change. Um, we need to learn to live sustainably. Um, and, and I think once we can solve those problems and the other sort of problems that are facing us, there's, it's so exciting to think about all of the knowledge that we will be able to gain. Like every, if everyone can work can all do science together, I think we'll understand more about our universe than we could possibly imagine. And that's exciting to think about how much humans a hundred years from now will, will know about their place in the universe. Wow, she's, she's just dropping philosophy on us. <laughs> no, but yeah, that, that's, that's a great answer. And I, I love that question because everyone, everyone's mind works differently and they all take it a little differently. And each person I've interviewed and asked that question, it's, I get something a little bit, like a little bit surprising or something I didn't think about. And that's why I do this podcast basically, because I want to talk to people uh, who know more than I do um, and then get their perspective on things. Um, so that, that's, that's awesome. And I think when you say, when push comes to shove, um, my mother and I, my big inspiration when it comes to like my love for space and everything. But when we see the Saturn V launch, like in videos of the Apollo 11 mission, or really any mission, but when you see that big rocket go off, I start to tear up and I'm like, hold it together, hold it <laughs> together. But it's not necessarily because of what's happening. It's because of what led up to that situation. How many people work yeah. to make that happen? Like push come to shove. And then, but it goes, it goes as far to say, like, like my mother says, when she sees a choir, like a large choir of people singing beautifully, it's like, it makes her tear up too. Cause it's just this, this, you know, th this group, you know, making it happen, which is mm -hmm. just fantastic. And I think you're right. Humanity has to get there. It has a little bit, of, it has, it's got a, maybe it's still got some rough patches to get through and it's got some got some grinding to go through but you're right i think i think we got to get there we got to be optimists we got to make sure it can happen yeah i definitely brings a tear to my eye just talking about <laughs> <laughs> look if frodo and sam could do it <laughs> and, so exactly. can we, and so can we oh can't, well, carry each, we can't carry the ring, but we can carry each other. <laughs> exactly. We can't carry the ring, we can carry each other. You know what? You are fantastic, Sarah. Sarah, <laughs> we might we might have to have you back on for our our science fiction panel that we are. Yeah, doing. that'd be fun. We need to have we, we want to have lots of different perspectives about science fiction and different types and me being a young lad. You know, I'm not as versed in science fiction. I wanna also say, not to say that you're old. 
was gonna I'm say. just I'm just younger <laughs> I'm just younger in my in my reading days my day <laughs> in general but uh it's awesome to get people's perspectives uh what's the science fiction and everything means to them and I think that yeah. comes into where you see the world in 100 years definitely Sarah do you have anything else that any more wisdom anything else you want to talk to us about today <laughs> wisdom i don't know uh i this has been really fun thanks for thanks for having me on yeah it was awesome to have you on i mean i, I mean i've already invited you to another one so <laughs> you know you were a fantastic guest it was great to have you on um we'll be giving a little shout out this should be going out very soon um but follow us on instagram at space jams and then you can listen to this podcast or tell your friends, if you're listening to it, you already know where you can find it, but tell them you can find it on Spotify. You can find it on Apple podcasts and everything. And then thanks for listening. And thanks to all of our supporters. You know, we need you. Um, and then always remember to keep looking up and we'll catch you next time.